This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. Tonight's Bible study, we're going to begin a brand new series. Okay, we've been doing series for better part of a year and a half now. We started a series which we called Red Letter Studies. We got about 17 chapters through the Gospel of Matthew. That was throughout 2018. The beginning of this year, we began a study, uh, our first series of studies on wisdom. We got through the first series, and tonight we're going back into the New Testament. Going back into the New Testament. The Old Testament's good. The New Testament is good. It's all for us today when you rightly understand it in its proper context. But it's in the letters of the apostles that we find a lot of where the rubber meets the road on what we should be doing and how we should be living right now as Christians. And so that's what we're going back to. So, well, one brother asked me if we were going to start in the book of Romans tonight. We're not planning on starting in Romans tonight. We're going to give a bit of an introduction on what we're on the beginning of this series. And then, Lord willing, we're going to jump into Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. So that would be Philippians. But we'll get to that here in just a moment. The letters of the apostles. Well, what's the name of the series? Letters to Young Churches is the name of this series. I didn't come up with that myself. I took it from a title of, uh, from a book, or as the title from a book. Letters to Young Churches, because that's exactly what the letters of the apostles were in most cases. They were letters to the very first churches that were established as centers of faith for believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah Jesus. And some of the letters were not written to churches. Some of the apostles' letters were written to individuals. And we're actually going to go over some of these as to who wrote what and what they are. If this is familiar territory for you, then it's a good refreshing for your memory. And then we'll get it, we'll get into greater detail as we continue. But if you look at the index in your Bible, if you have a Bible that's there, actually table of contents, and you see it has uh, all the books of the Old Testament laid out. And you go to the New Testament. And the first four, really the first five books that are there, the first four are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what are those all about? Well, those are, those are the recorded accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. We have four of them. And then the book of Acts, which is something we may also be diving into concurrently with this series on the letters of the apostles, because I almost, I want to bounce back and forth between these because Acts, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, either next week or the week after that. Acts is a book of history, but it was part two of a letter written by Luke. Part one was the gospel according to Luke. And we're going to be looking into that again, Lord willing, we'll be looking into that, uh, about the same time that we're going to be digging into the apostles' letters because as a believer in 2019, you need to know where we come from. You really do. Because one of the questions that comes up, especially in new Christians' minds, is well, what about all these other churches that are out there and all these different denominations that are out there? Which ones are right? Which ones are wrong? Why are there so many ones? Why are they different? What makes them different? Where did all these groups come from and where do 
we as a church, New Testament Christian church, fit in that puzzle? And where do I as an individual believer fit into that puzzle? And it's a legitimate question. That's not one of those questions that one lightly just blows off and says, ah, you don't need to worry about that. Well, no, that, that doesn't cut it in the information age, does it? Way too many questions, way too much information, way too easily retrieved, and a lot of it bad information. And so we want to answer those questions here and now as best as we can, or within this series of studies and, and in looking into the book of Acts as well as we run that, uh, again, Lord willing, as we run it concurrently with our studies on the letters of the apostles. But right after Acts, there's this one called Romans. And then First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all the way through Jude. Now, Revelation kind of stands on its own. We're not talking about that right now. No, we do not avoid it. It's for us today. Something that we want to know and we want to understand rightly without all of the sensationalism and charismatic baggage that gets packaged up with this designed to scare people into some particular mode of action. We'll get to that in due time. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians uh, are all letters written by the Apostle Paul. They're all letters written by the Apostle Paul to congregations, to churches that had been established over the decades since Christ returned and ascended to the Father. These were letters that were written to these. In fact, I want to give these, we kind of want to give these to you with different names so that they make a little bit more sense. Don't worry, we're not changing the word. Don't panic, okay? Romans is actually the epistle or the letter of Paul to the church at Rome. That's important because it just says Romans. Well, if you're new to the faith, what do you think of when you see the title Romans? Well, you probably think the same thing that I thought of the first time I read the title, uh, the title to the, to the book of Romans, which was, what is this? The history of the Roman people? That's what I thought it meant. The book of Romans. Okay. It's a history of Rome. It's the first thing I thought. It's not really an accurate label. It is the letter of Paul to the church at Rome. That's important. Likewise. The first and second letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. That's where we get this title Corinthians from. It was written to the Corinthian Christians. Galatians is actually Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was an entire region. It wasn't a city. It wasn't an individual place. And there were several churches in Galatia. There was more than one. Ephesians is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, or Colossae, or however you pronounce that. Thessalonians, likewise, this was Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. So most of these were cities that had an individual church, except Galatia. It was a region that had several churches. But then after Second Thessalonians, we have First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Well, what were those? These were letters by the Apostle Paul to these individuals. Timothy, who was a young pastor. He was a young minister that had placed himself or had either placed himself or had been brought under Paul's direct 
instruction and mentorship. You want to talk about something special there. That was, a, that was a wonderful relationship that those two had. So close that Paul considered Timothy to be his very own son in the faith. I know this is all very introductory here. And again, it might, be, it might not be new material to some of us, but to some of us, have, some of you may not have heard any of this before. And it's good to understand. Titus was Paul's letter to a man by the name of Titus. Likewise, Philemon, a letter from Paul to a man named Philemon. And then there's this last one hanging on at the end. Hebrews. So what's that about? Well, again, when you're looking at it the first time, you're thinking, is this a, he- a history of the Hebrew people? No, you get that in the whole Old Testament. You get plenty of history of the Hebrews in the Old Testament. This was a letter, by or is a letter, by an anonymous writer to the Hebrew Christians. It wasn't just some la- random letter to the Jews as being Jews. It was a letter written anonymously, but understood because of its style and because of its content. It was understood and is popularly, is rarely debated, but is usually accepted to have been written by the Apostle Paul. And we have no real reason to deny that today. So why did he write it anonymously when Paul had his name on all all of his other letters open with, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ, and all these different things by the will of God, by the Spirit of God, etc. Why was that not in the introduction to the book of Hebrews? Well, we'll get into the more of that later when we actually get to the book of Hebrews or to the letter to the Hebrews, okay? But there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. But again, given its style and given its content, it is commonly accepted that it was written by the Apostle Paul. So we're going to lump it in there with the rest of these letters by the Apostle Paul. So what about these individual letters? Were these just letters that were like, Dear Church at Rome, had some snow today, threat of some hail, had to move the chariot inside the garage so it didn't get dented. Mom's doing well. Grandpa's kind of losing it. The dementia is getting worse. And uh, he's starting to worry about getting out to plant the sheep. So we're thinking about having to move him into hospice. Were were they these kinds of letters? Small talk letters? Of course not. These were what are called epistles. So what's an epistle? Is it something that we can carry because of constitutional carry laws here in this great city of Cheyenne and state of Wyoming? No, of course not. An epistle was a lengthy, sizable letter in most instances that dealt with some very heavy stuff. There is hard doctrine that is contained in these letters that were written by the apostles and sent to these young churches. And we call them young churches because they'd only been around, some of them only for a few years. Some of them were churches that had been planted by Paul. Some of them were older, some of them were younger, some of them planted by others. The church at Rome, we have no idea who actually founded that church. No, it was not the apostle Peter. We don't know who started the church in Rome. It's uh, been believed by some one school of it's one school of thought states that the, the the Christians that were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, there were Christians that were present then that they were the ones that actually went back to their home in Rome and started that church there. And we'll get more we'll get more into the individual details as we get through these books. But these were letters that were written every one of them to these individual churches for a reason. And there were different reasons. It wasn't all for the same reason. The church or the letter to the church at Rome, for example, 
was written because Rome had recently become bereft of all of its Jewish Christian influence and likely had lost even its pastor because the emperor of Rome at that time had thrown out all Jews from the city of Rome. That would have included all of the Jewish Christians. And so all that were left behind was a congregation of Gentile Christians who had a lot of misunderstandings concerning the scripture and how they were supposed to live. Paul, who had never been to that church, wrote a letter to them standing in the gap to straighten out a lot of their understanding. And it speaks to us in a way that no other book of the Bible speaks concerning the Christian worldview, where we are in the grand scheme of things and all of that. Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he wrote for an entirely different reason. The church at Corinth was beset with a number of internal problems. And I mean big ones, sin problems, things that were grievous to even read about. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians and you have an idea of some of the things that were going on there, they had sin problems, they had charismatic problems, they had a bunch of baloney worship issues that were going on and people making a circus act out of the gifts of the Spirit and just very much misapplying the Word of God, misunderstanding the Word of God where these things were concerned. Galatians, they had a different problem. Ephesians, they had a different problem still. With the Galatians, it was an issue of Judaizers in their midst. People that were trying to bind the Christians in the region of Galatia, they were trying to bind these Christians under the law and trying to get them back back under the law. Not even back under the law. These were Gentile Christians that had never been under the law. They were Judaizers that were saying, okay, you guys believe in Jesus, that's great, but you need to do this stuff too. And this stuff referred to getting circumcised if they were men, keeping Sabbaths, keeping the feasts and, uh, of Passover and, and, and all of the different feasts and, and, and um, solemn occasions and new moons and all of that stuff that were part of the old, uh, the old covenant and the old Jewish worship. They were trying to bring these Gentile Christians under bondage to the law of Moses. And so Paul reaching out. And who was better qualified when you think about it? Who is better qualified to write these 14 letters, many of them to churches, some of them to people, to iron out the wrinkles in their understanding and bring them back from the brink of some bad decisions and correct problems that were in their actual practice as well as their worship, because those are two different things, Christian practice and Christian worship. So Christianity is just all about worshiping God. No, it's not. It's about living for Him. And that requires individual practice on our part, doesn't it? It's the things that we do is how we practice Christianity. Well, I don't practice any of that. Okay, well, when we get to the letter of James, we're going to cover that at length. And we'll talk all about, Sister Derrida, we're going to be all about count it all joy. It's an inside joke between some of us. Uh, that were here three and a half years ago installing these windows. We were studying James at that time. And man, it was an experience. But we grew, and so it was good. It was good. Once we get through all of the letters of James, excuse me, all of the letters of Paul, then we'll start getting into letters from the, others, the other apostles. James wrote the book of James. It's a very short letter that was written to the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. 
And yes, it is for us today. And it deals with, you say you have faith, you better have works to back it up. Because faith without works is dead. No, works don't save us. We're very careful about that. We're very explicit about that. We don't leave any room for doubt. Works don't save at all. But if there's any evidence at all in a person's life that they are saved, it's the things that they do and the things that they don't do. And so that's covered very thoroughly in, the, in James's epistle to the twelve tribes. First and second Peter are the two letters that we have written by Peter. And they're general epistles, what are called general epistles. They're letters to all Christians, to whosoever is a believer and comes upon these letters, it's for them. Likewise, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Actually, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written by, guess who? Titus, right? That was a joke. You know, you can smile and laugh in Bible study. It's okay. It's okay. We're not a bunch of stone faces around here. Um, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written by John. One of them is a general epistle. Um, I believe the second one, I have to look at it to confirm that because I might get them confused. Second John, I believe, is a letter that is written into an individual, a woman that is, he addresses simply as the elect lady. And then third John is a, is a third type of letter still, very short. I think it's only one chapter. Jude is the only letter that is written by Jude. And then, of course, we have the Revelation, which it'll be for another study for another time. So this is a brief overview. I know it's eaten up half of our Bible study, but that's all right. It's all right. It gives us a quick bird's eye view of what we've got here. These are the letters of the apostles. They're different than the writings of the prophets. They're different than the writings of the law. They're different than the historical books that are found in the Old Testament that reveal history to us history of the nation of Israel, the things that they did, both good and bad, and the wonderful works that God worked in, in, in their lives as a nation. It's different than the, than the Gospels. Remember when we began our study in the Gospel of Matthew? We, uh, we actually, it, wasn't, it was sometime after we began it. And, and somewhat when we did begin it, we explained that the Gospels are written in their historical context for a reason. There's no book of Jesus or book of Jesus' teachings. Jesus didn't write letters to the various synagogues. That wasn't what He was sent to do. He taught by His actual life as well as by His teachings. And those two things are inextricably linked. So the letters of the apostles stand apart from the Gospels. They stand apart even from the book of Acts because Acts is primarily history. It still has a historical narrative to it. These are concentrated documents that show us this is how we do it. If you get nothing else from tonight's Bible study anyway, get this. The letters of the apostles are all about this is how we do it, Christians. So what about this group over here? Don't worry about this other group over here or this other group over there or this other congregation over here or there. We're not... We're not with them. And we're not judging them. We're not saying that they're one thing one way or the other. Okay? This is how we do it. Well, what about church traditions? What about church traditions? If they're good traditions, fine. If they're traditions that run afoul of the Word of God, this is how we do it. Not by our church traditions. And that's important because there, there are churches that are just all about their traditions. I spoke with a man today who was telling me that about a woman that he met. 
And I don't want to get lost in, in, in many stories, okay? But this is worth bringing up. He met an Aramaic, an Orthodox, um, an Assyrian Orthodox Christian woman lately. And he was having a conversation with her and he was trying to, to, to find some common ground uh, as, because, you know, it's very different cultures, very different people, very different churches. He was trying to find some common ground with her and her understanding of the Christian life was as soon as we're born, we're Christians. As soon as we're born, we're Christians. We're born into the church. And, and so that's just what we are. And so her entire concept of Christian life was cultural and not doctrinal and not personal. And so, and there's reasons for that. Some of the ancient churches that have been around for, you know, very nearly 2,000 years and what they've morphed into over time. And again, not that we were judging the Assyrian Orthodox Church. I know very little about them other than they are extraordinarily old. And they're one of the oldest in the world, the, the Assyrian Orthodox Church. But age doesn't mean that everything has stayed straight over the last 2,000 years. Not by a long shot. And so there's a lot to learn there. We have the source material. We have the letters of the apostles that have been preserved for us by the miracle grace of God over two or nearly two millennia. What survives two millennia? Because books, they don't last, especially in ancient times. Writing materials crumble. Were they carved on clay tablets? Were they written on papyrus? You know, these things are subject to the ravages of ages. And you have to remember, books as we have them today were not available back then. Books were exceedingly rare and exceedingly fragile. And they could not be mass produced at all until the invention of the printing press sometime in, goodness, when was that? Was it the 1600s, the 1500s? When did Gutenberg crank out the first printing press? 1500s? And the very first book that was produced on that thing was the Bible. And so for good reason. Now with all of that introduction covered and aside, let us begin here now at the tail end of tonight's Bible study. Let us begin with the letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. Letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. Common title is Philippians. Philippians. Let's begin with the introduction. Paul and Timotheus. The servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. That's how we get a proper name for it. It's right there in the introduction almost every time, if not every time. To the, to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Let me park on that for just a moment to clarify jargon and terminology. So bishops and deacons, that's a Catholic thing, isn't it? Well, it is nowadays. But all that really means is pastors and, well, deacons. I think it's pretty much a standalone title. Well, who's the equivalent of a deacon in this church here, in our church? That man sitting back there with his wife, Reverend DeRyder, is effectively our deacon. It's a little bit more than that, but he, he occupies that office here in this church. Well, who's the bishop in this church? Hello. Yours truly. It's just another name for a pastor. Doesn't mean that I wear a fancy hat and carry a long shepherd's crook and wear long, silly, in my opinion, ornate robes embroidered with, 
uh, all this ostentatious ornamentation, all of that, and I don't make people kiss my ring. That would be weird. The only ring I have is a wedding ring. What do you want to kiss that for? You don't know where this ring's been. That's a joke. Could have been digging around in an engine trying to fix something highly unlikely in my case, or could have been you know, more likely working with a piece of wood or some wire or something like that. So all it is, all he's saying, and saints, there's that word too. That's another one that throws a lot of people. So, well, saints are, uh, well, saints are people like Mother Teresa and other people that have been Catholic, you know, canonized by the Catholic Church or by the Orthodox Church or by these other ancient congregations. No. A saint is a believer, faithful believer in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, then you are among the saints. It's that simple. It really is. And that blows a lot of people's minds, but it's true. And so this letter is written to the Christians, the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with their pastors and their other ministers and helpers and so on. Grace be unto you, verse 2, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is what we're teaching tonight. This is tonight's core lesson from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi from the book of Philippians is in verse 6. And even this isn't the, the end of the whole sentence. It, can carry, it continues all the way through the next verse. But let's read that together. Verses 6 and 7. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet or fitting, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have in, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Period. End of sentence. Long sentence, but that's how Paul writes. Many words. He was a teacher and a preacher and apostle of many words, but none of them were wasted. All of them carried meaning. None of them were just throwaway phrases or filler sentences to just fluff up his letters. You have to remember, in ancient times, writing materials were comparatively scarce. You couldn't just run down to the... What do we have here? You can just run down to the Walgreens or the Walmart or whatever you have, pick up a composition book or... A, I don't even... Do they still make stationery? Do they even sell those outside of boutique stores anymore? It's kind of hard to find that stuff, but you couldn't just run down and buy a, you know, a, a three-ring binder and some loose-leaf notebook paper and start cranking out a letter. It wasn't that convenient. So he wasn't looking to fluff up his letters to these churches. He meant everything that he was saying. Verse 6, he says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will be will will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ what is this why is this significant why is this our core teaching tonight because it's a promise 
It's a promise. He who began a good work in you. What does that even mean? Well, what happened when you first believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? What happened when you first believed on him? You repented of your sins. You sought him to make you a new creature. You were transformed. You were changed from the kingdom of darkness to light. You were changed from evil to good. You ceased to be what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 7 when he was talking to the people in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, if ye being evil love to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father, how much more will he give those to them that ask him? You ceased to be evil in your nature, down in the heart of your heart, in the core of your being. You were delivered from that and you were made into something good. That's the good work that Jesus began in each and every one of you that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? I know it's a Bible study, but that's a fact, Jack. That's, that's where it's really at. That's where it began. He says, He that began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's the promise in this teaching. He began a good work in you. What, He began salvation? No. Salvation was the beginning of the work that He is doing in us. He had to deliver us from our sins and make us into new creatures before He could begin improving and refining us. I was speaking with a, a brother, again, tonight, speaking with a brother tonight before the Bible study, and he was talking about something he'd heard from someone else, how that many people, and this is so true, many people get to thinking that they need to clean their spiritual house up before they come to Jesus. And that is absolutely backwards. Well, I can't be a Christian yet because I got some things I got to work out in my life. No, 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 no. Do you take a bath before you take a shower? That's weird. Well, I can't take a shower yet because I got to take a bath and get clean. No, Jesus is the bath. Jesus is the shower. Jesus is the one that shows up at the door of your life, as the brother said, with a mop and a bucket ready to get to work with your help and cooperation. You don't have to clean up your life first. You have to get Jesus first. And then Jesus, beginning that good work in you by washing your heart clean and your soul, your spirit, the whole inner man, the whole inner woman, Jesus, beginning that good work in you, then sets about to clean the whole life of the believer. So I thought he just wanted to save my soul. No. God cares about the whole man, the whole woman, every single aspect of your life. But yes, you got to be saved first or none of the other stuff is going to matter when it comes to eternity because what good does it what good is it to live a wonderfully successful and fulfilling moral, ethical life if you still die lost. It was all for nothing. It was all in vain. And so the work that He began in us began at salvation. You believed on Him. He changed you. And now, the promise. He will begin it. He will perform it. Excuse me. 
He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that he saves you every single day? No, it means that having saved you, he now begins to sanctify you. He now begins to go through your spiritual house, your life with your cooperation because he never forces anything. Jesus is a perfect gentleman. With our cooperation as believers, he begins to set things in order throughout our entire life. Well, what kind of things does he set in order? Everything from the way we live, the way we talk, the way we communicate with other people, the way we act with and, uh, and interact with others, the way we behave on our jobs, the way our homes and families are structured. Oh yes, these are, the, these are the letters of the apostles and Paul especially, not just Paul, but Paul especially has some things to say to us about the right way to live. And well, this sounds, this sounds negative. This sounds brooding, foreboding, ominous. It sounds like there's going to be some uncomfortable stuff shared. Don't be scared because there's some wonderful stuff shared. How many of you or who among you, let me just put it that way so you don't feel, and this is rhetorical, you don't have to put up a hand, I'm not asking for participation necessarily, but just answer this question in your heart. Who among you have ever started anything in life that was new, took up a new interest, uh, set out to accomplish a specific project or something like that? Who among you took up any new thing in life that you did not have a hunger and an interest for to begin with or you wouldn't have started it? Any Pinterest users in here? Maybe not after today because they're starting to ban people. But uh, um, you took an interest in it and so you did the homework on it and you looked it up. And you wanted to know how to do it and obviously there was an interest there. Well, why would Christianity be any different? Really, why would a life for God be any different? I want to be a Christian in my heart. Okay, well then the very next question is, how do I do it? You know, you looked up how to build the birdhouse or the feeder out there for the hummingbirds. Do we have hummingbirds in Cheyenne? I don't know if we do or not. I don't think we do. We have robins, plenty of those. Been seeing those, you know, by the, just about by the score here over the last few days or weeks or so. But, you know, you looked up how to build the birdhouse. You looked up how to build, how to build that privacy fence in the backyard. You looked up how to make, uh, make that particular dress. You looked up how to make the Roman shades. We, we're working on that. We got our serger back, just so you know. Uh, we had it maintained. It needed to be. It needed some work, and now we can get to work on actually getting these shades so we're not blinded by the afternoon sun and the evening services, or the evening sun, if you will. You looked up the instructions on how to do what you wanted to do. Christianity is the same way. And like anything, when you're looking at the instructions on how to do something, if you're doing it right, okay, so I have to put that disclaimer in there. If you're doing it right, you didn't skip the steps that you didn't like, right? Because then what happened? Well, then when you finished doing the thing that was being done, that's a Reverend DeRiderism right there. That is a thing that has been done, you know. When you finished with it, you had extra pieces left over. And maybe it was kind of wobbly. Or maybe it didn't turn on. Or, or whatever it was. Or the, you know, the, the garment didn't fit right, you know. 
It fit like that first thing you made in home ec back in junior high. And it was all wonky and cockeyed. You know, we don't skip instructions just because we may not like them. And so as we conclude tonight's Bible study, as we conclude tonight's introduction to letters to young churches, let's remember the letters to the young churches are letters to us. The passage of time has not made them one bit less relevant. They're every bit as relevant today as they ever were. The letters to the young churches are letters to us. They're instructions on how to live the Christian life. Let us resolve, as we continue this series of studies, let's resolve to follow the instructions and let God continue that good work that he began in us. Let him continue that work unimpeded. And I'll leave you with this. Remember the worker at work within you and be careful not to undo his work. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.